0: Lonely Sun song, the song's for you. Certain kinds of dreams represent esoteric ideas by means of sense images. They're like parables that appear to be about physical things, but instead have a spiritual, psychological meaning. This whole idea of the images as symbols or types in dreams and in parables and in allegories and in fables and the like this is made possible through archetypes. An archetype from the Greek is archetupon, means first molded, which is a compound of archae, beginning, origin, and tupos, pattern, model, type. It dates back as far as Plato. To Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist who came up with a different way of approaching psychoanalysis than Freud, who had dominated the scene for a long time. To Carl Jung, archetypes were innate, universal prototypes for ideas which could be used to interpret observations and were stored in the collective unconscious. Before language, we had pictures. And before outer pictures, before people were drawing on walls, we had mental images. Was it through these mental images that primitive man communicated before speech? If you recall the Seven Mansions, that is what that book asserts, is that before we developed speech, we had basically a kind of telepathy. Not me speaking into your head or you speaking into my head, but actually being able to connect into these images. In a sense, if you think about the Aborigines in Australia, someone will go and bury an emu egg that's been filled with water and then plugged and then buried in the ground. He will either come back to that someday while he's out there, or it's there for anyone, anyone who needs it. And these people, these Aboriginal people, somehow find them. And there's really not much of an explanation for it, according to our society and our mode of thinking these days. And yet they do it. And they're not the only ones. There are Africans who do it as well. So it's something that so-called primitives seem to have that we have lost. For example, the more we depend on cellular phones, mobile phones, look at how many people are wearing a watch today. Lori wears a watch because she's a nurse practitioner and she needs to take people's blood pressure and she wants to look at her watch while she does that. But I notice no other watches in the room. Whereas there was a time when everybody had a wristwatch on. Now people pull out their phones and they look at their phones and see what time it is. And it's all digital. You don't see a clock face. There are children today who have never learned how to tell time with the face of a clock. They just never learned to do it. There are children today who don't know how to add or subtract or divide or multiply without a calculator because they never had to do it. They never learned that. So in a sense, we have lost some of the traditional aspects of our first education. So then maybe modern man has lost a lot more than just the ability to communicate through images, archetypal pictures. I see it kind of like this. It's like there's this big reservoir, huge reservoir of ideas. You can think of it as water, if you'd like, like a water tank for a town. Let's just make it something simple. Let's say there are 300 families in a town, and they have a water tank, and it's up there on the hill, and it's the highest point in their town, and the water tank is also built up so that it's much higher than anything else around, and that's obviously so that the gravity will deliver the water under pressure to their homes, and they'll be able to turn on the tap, and water will come out, and they'll all be connected to that water tank individually connected to that water tank. And they'll all get the same water, whether they live on the south end or the north end, the east end or the west end of the town or anywhere in between, they'll all have access to the same water, the same temperature, the same water, basically. I look at the collective unconscious like that, except that it's not water that's in that tank, but ideas. Not every idea, but types of ideas. And that's how I see archetypes. Innate universal prototypes for ideas, which can be used to interpret observations and are stored in this collective unconscious that we say is similar to this water tank. Now, of course, none of this is physical. It's all psychological. It's all invisible to us. You're not going to find some high point on the earth where these ideas are stored in a big tank. But if you think about the fourth way, you will think that there are higher centers where these ideas are stored. And if you have connected to those higher centers, then you have access to those ideas. They're on tap, as it were, if you know how to operate the tap. If you don't know how to operate the tap, then they're not on tap for you. If you're in the desert or in an arid place where there isn't any water and you're thirsty and you come upon a well with a hand pump. Unless you can prime that pump, unless you can prime it and then operate the handle of that pump, you're not going to get any water out of that well. You could die of thirst right there, within feet of water. This is the same way. These ideas, higher ideas, archetypal ideas, prototypes of ideas, or prototypes for ideas, are there. And just because we can't connect with them doesn't mean they're not there. It just means that we have either lost our ability to connect to them, and that's probably the case. Man once knew, but lost that ability through forgetfulness, sleep, and turning to other things and depending on them, like depending on the phone to tell you what time it is instead of depending on a wristwatch, or before that, a sundial, or before that, looking at the sun, locating where it is in the sky and determining what time it was. People were pretty good at that. They had it marked off pretty well. You can see this behavior in the wild with a school of fish, flock of birds, a herd of gazelle. What is it that makes them move in unity? Well, it's not obvious to our senses. We don't really know, but you see some of these films, people who go into the ocean and take pictures, and you'll see these fish swimming or all kinds of shrimp and fish and all kinds of different schools of beings that swim together. And it's like a choreographed ballet, this way and that way, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it when we look at it from outside. But inside, they almost all act in unison, synchronized swimmers, as it were. But you see the same thing with birds. You see a flock of birds take off, and they'll go this way, and then that way, and then this way, and then head off that way. When I was a child, I raised pigeons, homing pigeons. And it was always interesting to watch them. You would take homing pigeons and transport them somewhere else. And they had races, transport the pigeon somewhere else far away, release them at a certain time, and then they would clock in. When the bird got back to its home, it would come through the door, and as it came through, it would the clock would go, and it would set what time that bird came back. And you had bands on their legs, so you knew which was which. And then the one who got home the fastest, traveled the longest distance, and got home the quickest was obviously the winner. And it was interesting because I remember when you released them, they'd fly up and then they'd fly in a circle. And they'd just circle for a little bit and then they'd just take off in whatever direction. And still today, we're still studying how do they do that. They're still studying today how do bees communicate with one another where one has found honey. They found that they have a little dance that they do. A bee will come back to the hive and it'll do this little dance. And the other bees will watch it and somehow they communicate what this dance means. And they know or they suspect that it has something to do with where the sun is and something to do with navigating by the sun and then finding whatever it is that they send them out to find. The idea of archetypes has a lot of strong support for me in the natural world. I had a dream this week. And in the dream, there were two other people in the dream besides myself, two people familiar to me. I was in my office, and one of them said, look, and I looked over in the corner, the floor had been torn back. The wood floor had been torn back, the subfloor had been torn back, and part of the wall was torn up so that you could see down into the basement. We don't have a basement, but in this dream, you could see down into the basement, and so I went to look. And this person said, look, and I went to look. And then the person was gone and down in the basement, but I couldn't see them in the basement. But there was another person down in the basement. And down in the basement were just full. It was like a huge rat's nest full of baby rats, just dozens and dozens of them. There were too many to count. And the two people down in the basement were killing the rats. And it was an unseen thing. I don't know how they were killing the rats. All I knew is that these baby rats were like kicking and shaking like they were dying. And one of the people had this fat, juicy rat in his hand. And the rat was alive, but wasn't going anywhere. It was like almost like they were friends. And I thought that was really odd. I thought, I don't think it's a good idea to be friends with this rat. And the other person, I couldn't see at all, but I had the sense was down there. And I had this gun. I think it was like a BB gun or a pellet gun. And I was going to shoot one of the rats. But this other person was in the way, holding this fat rat. And I asked him to move, but he didn't move. He stayed in the line of fire. So I finally just said, well, fine, you know, I don't need to deal with this. They're not up here with me. They're down there with them. And I don't really need to deal with this. This is not something, I don't want to go down there and hunt rats, basically. And so I just gave it up and went away from the hole and woke up. That was my dream. Rats paint a pretty clear picture as archetypes, I'd say. If you have rats in your house, remember, you are a three-story house. And you do have rats in your house. And yes, they are down there in the basement or the first story of your house. So what would you say rats are? Negative emotions, you'd say? What would the rest of you say? The rest of you would say nothing. It's not uncommon for the rest of you to say nothing. Okay, mechanical ideas. All right. I would say definitely for me, the dark side stuff that I would avoid. They were not little pet white rats. They were Norwegian roof rats or whatever it is that we consider to be dirty, dark, negative, destructive, icky kind of things. I don't know how you feel about rats, but there's an archetypal prototype in the collective unconscious for rats, snakes, spiders, leeches, things like that, that if you're paying attention, will kind of give you a kind of icky feeling on your spine or the back of your neck. That's what I mean by archetypal images and ideas. So for me, rats paint a pretty clear picture as archetypes. The first story is the lowest part of our three-story house. The second story, where I was, is the emotional center. So we're going to talk about the food octave a little bit. You probably won't remember the food octave, but that's okay. I can refresh your memory. We take food in as hydrogen 768, according to this system of ideas, where it's then transformed into 96 in the second story. And later, in that same second story, it's transformed to 48, then 24, and possibly, but very unlikely for most of us, into 112. Negative emotions interfere with this transformation process. 96, 48, 24, and 12. Negative emotions interfere in every stage of transformation. So your potato is not going to turn into cells and blood and all of the things that it needs to turn into to transform into the finer substances. So the potato at 768 isn't going to turn into 96 if something's wrong, if you've got something interfering with this transformation process. A negative emotion, as we know, unchecked, leads us to the worst places in our psychological country, basically to the slums where rats are common. Rats are common in slums. I remember watching something on television one time about the slums in New York, people who lived in these tenement housing projects, and they just lived with rats. There was no way to get rid of them. I remember watching the amazing things about rats that they could hold their breath for an unbelievable amount of time, and they would swim up and come in through the toilets a rat wouldn't be there and then this rat would just swim up through the toilet come out of the toilet and there it would be rats also have the ability to shrink their body down to make their body the same size as their head so that a hole that a rat's head can fit through no matter how big the rat is it can somehow mash its rib cage down so that it can fit through a hole that its head can fit through so if it can get its head through a hole it can get the rest of its body through a hole So rats have access to our living quarters through these little holes that we would never even imagine that a rat could get in through. Rats also have an incredible sense of balance. They can come across on a wire. So they can come from one building to another building on a wire and then in through a small hole. The more I saw it, the more I thought, oh my God, it's an invasion. And that's how people living in these places feel. It's an invasion. They are being invaded I remember one woman that they interviewed told the story of a rat who was in her living room, and she tried to get rid of it with a broom, and the rat stood up on its hind legs and fought her. She's swatting this broom, trying to get rid of it, and it's trying to bite her. I thought, really? That's scary. To me, it was scary. To some other people, it may not be. So rats, for me, make a great archetype for unchecked negative emotions that do indeed live in the slums of our own psychological country. Apparently, negative emotions can depress our physical health. We realize now that negative emotions can produce an enormous amount of stress in us and that stress really depresses our physical health. It can really cause a lot of problems in us, not just hypertension, high blood pressure and ulcers. It goes on and on and on, but it affects, it attacks our immune system, making us more susceptible to things that we should not have a problem with if we were not stressed, Physical health is 96, so 768 to 96 negative emotions interfere with your physical health. And one of the ways is indigestion right up front, heartburn, indigestion, inability to digest your food properly, inability to get the proper nutrients, the nutrients you need out of the food that you're eating. So you end up eating more, getting fewer and fewer nutrients out of it, but still somehow getting the things that you don't really need and then becoming overweight. And that makes your system sluggish and that begins to clog your system so that you're not moving the things that need to be pushed out of your system, out of your system. They're stored there. And so your body begins to suffer from poisoning because if you're clogging up things, you have no way to get rid of the things you need to get rid of. It's like being able to inhale all the time, but not exhale. That's called emphysema, when you can inhale, but not exhale. So you're stuck with all this stale air in your lungs you're not able to get rid of, and so you end up being put on oxygen so that you can oxygenate your blood and stay alive. We know that apparently negative emotions can depress our physical health. That's at 96 It also affects our thinking energies. That's 48. And our emotions. That's 24 in the food octave that we're talking about. Last week, we talked about testing our work. In the same way we test a life rope. If you were mountain climbing and you're way up there and you want to get down to some other point, you don't just grab the rope and head down. You test the rope to see if it's going to hold you. You want to make sure that when you have your full weight on that, and you're heading down that whatever that rope is connected to isn't going to give way, that the rope itself is in good enough shape so that it will hold you, you would test it because that's exactly what testing our work really is. It's a life rope. When we do, we inevitably find it is impossible to work in negative state. Now, people think they work in negative states, but this work says, and all esoteric teachings say, it is impossible for us to really work in a negative state. We're in the wrong place. We're in the slums of ourselves, And in the slums, you can't work. In the slums, you ward off rats, or you make friends with them, like one of the people in the dream was doing, making friends with this fat, juicy rat, which I found really disturbing. Gradually, it dawns on our understanding that esoteric ideas can't exist in false, wrong, evil places in our psychological country. There simply is no place for them any more than there is place for that kind of conversation in a slum. That's not what people talk about. What they talk about is where are they going to score crack cocaine? Where are they going to score food stamps? Where are they going to score heroin? Where are they going to score whatever? That's what people talk about. They don't talk about esoteric ideas. They don't talk about higher centers. They don't talk about this work in slums. And in your psychological slums, the eyes there don't talk about it either. They're not the least bit interested in it. So gradually, it dawns on our understanding that those ideas, those higher ideas, cannot exist there in those false, wrong, evil places. It follows then that our first work is to protect the ideas from such places, to keep them out of places like that. You don't store your food stuff, your energy, you're in the basement with the rats. And the reason for that is because the rats will spoil it. They will eat it, and you will get nothing out of it. Not only will they eat it, but they will spoil it. They don't just eat it. They spoil it. Rats are dirty. So protecting the ideas, keeping them sealed off hermetically. And we use hermetically because hermetic is of or correlating to an ancient occult tradition encompassing alchemy and things of that description. Hermes is regarded as the founder of alchemy. You'll remember alchemy is the idea that you can take something base and transform it through alchemy into something fine. The obvious answer to that in our world, the way that most people take it, is taking lead and turning it into gold. So taking a base metal like lead and turning it into a valuable metal like gold. The sad thing is that people took it literally and tried to turn lead into gold. Esoteric teachings are never meant to be taken literally, but people take them literally all the time because they lack the understanding to grasp the esoteric ideas and to connect them together. They're simply unaware. This is where the alchemical retort comes in. Remember we talked about the retort where... This closed system that you put over a flame, and it's talked about in the fourth way as this is where the metallic powders are. They're stored in there, and they're closed off from the world, but every time an event touches, the world can touch the retort, and when it does, it shakes the powders, and everything has changed. We are basically like that. When the world touches us, it shakes us, and it moves things around. We start off wanting to do one thing, then situation arises, boom, and we don't do that thing at all. We lose that, all the powders are shaken around, and everything's changed like a sand painting. Think of a sand painting. You have a sand painting in a jar, and if you shake it up, it's not a sand painting anymore. You start to distort it, and if you keep shaking it, it's gone. And it's not going to be like a snow globe, where after you let it sit for a while, all the snow goes back down to the bottom, and then everything's fine. It's not that way at all. With a sand painting, it's done. It's no longer a sand painting. It's just sand all mixed together, colored sands all mixed together. That's what happens with us, according to this work, according to esoteric ideas. Transformation of man from multiplicity into unity, the fusing of the metallic powders in the retort into one, is the alchemical clothing for the esoteric teaching. So when they talk about that, they're giving you a picture of what your internal psychological world is like, what your spiritual kingdom is like, that it's not steady. It's like sand. And if you build on sand, it's not a good foundation. You've got to somehow get rid of the sand. The gospel teachings is build your house on a rock, not on the sand. You build your house on sandy soil, the tribulation, the things, the stuff in life comes up and it knocks the house down. But if you build it on the rock, no matter what happens in life, your house will stand. Same thing. Three-story house, the house on the rock, the house in the sand, the retort, the metallic powders in the retort. What makes a rock? Heat makes a rock. The center of the earth is molten rock. As it comes up, as it spews up through a volcanic eruption, we see that molten rock cool and turn to solid rock. So this is the whole idea. This is the whole idea of alchemy. This is the whole idea of this internal teaching. The retort is sealed off. The substances in it are protected from outside, yet they can still be shifted by life. A good bump, and it will shift those powders. A good bump, and that sand is shifted. But put heat under the retort, eventually it will fuse those powders together so that life can no longer shake them. How would you like to be immune to the shakings of life? Well, not everyone would. Some people love the shakings of life. They think that that's the drama, the excitement of life. And it's very few people who realize that that's no life at all. That's being directed by life. That's being at the effect of life. That's like being out on the ocean in a boat without a rudder, without a sail, without a keel. You can be capsized. You can be drowned. You can be blown onto the rocks or you can be blown out to sea where you don't see land again and have no way of ever seeing land again. Now, it could be exciting, and it might make a great book. When the inner substance become one, man has reached the aim of his development, or so say esoteric teachings. Because order is heaven's first law, our first work is to prevent esoteric ideas being destroyed in us through getting into the wrong psychological country, the slums. Wrong eyes can destroy our work, just as giving these ideas to the wrong people will destroy the work. I learned that last bit the hard way by sharing ideas with the walking dead. I don't do that anymore. People think that these podcasts are us sharing what we do here, when the truth is, it's not really sharing what we do here at all. There are three levels of teaching here. There is the level that people who get podcasts get, which is the very outer level, basically the very outer level, the lowest level. Then there's the level that we get on either side of a podcast, before the podcast and after the podcast. And then the other level is the level that I keep to myself my own teaching that I don't even share with you. That's roughly the three levels. Of course, there are more levels because within the group, there are levels. I share with one person a different level than I share with another person. So there are some people who get one level of teaching and Jesus was the same way and all esoteric teachers are the same way. They have one way they talk to the crowds. They have another way they talk to their disciples and then they have another way they talk to their closer disciples You'll remember Jesus had one way. He talked to the people, and the disciples all came to him. They said, well, why do you talk to them in figures and parables? And he said, because having ears they can't hear, having eyes they don't see, their hearts are hard, and they can't understand with their hearts. But to you it has been given to know the secrets, so then he explains to them the parables. But then he takes three of them off, James and John and Peter, and he takes those three off, and he tells them things and shows them things that the others don't get to see. What is it that determines that? Is it Jesus who determines who gets what? No, it's the people who determine who get what. I have made the mistake of, I confess it freely, sharing these ideas with the walking dead or people who were so asleep that the ideas fell on the wrong places in them. And how I knew the ideas fell in the wrong places with them is because the ideas were devoured by negative emotions, and then the people did damage to the work with their misunderstanding of the ideas, their misunderstanding of the teaching. And so I don't do that anymore. Like I said, I learned the hard way not to share these ideas with the walking dead. Another way of looking at it, the ideas are like seeds, grain, if you will. If you leave the grain down in the basement with the rats, the rats will eat the grain. You'll get nothing from it. The grain cannot be planted. The grain cannot be eaten by you. It's spoiled by the rats. What's left is spoiled. Because after the rats eat the grain, they eliminate in it. And it spoils the rest of it for you. Another way of looking at it is a sower went out to sow. So he took some grain, some seeds, and he threw it here and there. Some of it fell on the roadside. And the birds, or the rats, or whatever you choose to call them, came and immediately ate it up. And that was it. Some seed fell in rocky soil because it didn't have any soil to root in. It grew up fast, but as soon as the sun came out, it withered and died. And then some seed fell in among thorns and weeds. And as it grew up with the thorns and the weeds, the thorns and the weeds choked it out. And so it didn't bear any fruit. But some seed fell in good soil. And some of that seed grew up and bore fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So that's another way of looking at this. If we allow these ideas to fall in the wrong place in us, then the wrong eyes get hold of them, and they destroy them. And wrong eyes are eyes that are violent, mechanical, small, negative, and self-absorbed. That would be the majority of the eyes in each of us. The vast majority. You have hundreds of thousands of those, and perhaps only a few places that we could call good soil, with some eyes there. This body of esoteric teaching must be protected. It's got to be guarded. It's got to be separated and sealed. First, in yourself. Life eyes and work eyes are mixed in your life, inside of you. If you have work eyes and life eyes mixed together, the ideas will not be fruitful. They will not bear fruit. They will not grow into what they're supposed to grow into. This is real evil adultery. Unlike the outer moral code of the walking dead, disconnected from real conscience and run by life through acquired conscience. The walking dead read, thou shalt not commit adultery and they make it a moral code of outer life. But the inner teaching of not committing adultery is not mixing these higher ideas in the basement of ourselves with negative emotions and little eyes that can never understand them but can only damage them or destroy them altogether. The walking dead have to be given life ideas because that's all they're interested in. If they're given these esoteric ideas, they harm them, destroy them, Another way of looking at that is like casting pearls before swine. They tread the pearls underfoot because what is a pearl to a pig? It doesn't care. It takes some kind of understanding to value a pearl. Even a primitive person may not value a pearl. You have to understand something about what is precious and what is not precious, what is common and what is precious before you can understand the value of a pearl. You don't give valuable pearls To a child to play with because a child will destroy them it will eat them swallow them crush them lose them destroy them so you don't give pearls to pigs to swine because they can't appreciate them they'll just tread them on their foot and they turn and rend you they turn on you as i said i found this out the hard way i don't do that anymore another way that the esoteric writings put it is throwing holy things to the dogs A holy thing is something that's sanctified. What makes it sanctified? It is set apart. Sanctified means set apart. It's set apart from the common, and it's sanctified as something different, as something precious, as something valuable. If you allow these ideas to fall in places in you where they are not sanctified, where they're not precious, where they're not valuable, where they're not holy, where they're not guarded, where they're not protected... They will be destroyed. They will not bear fruit. Already you know this because most of these ideas have fallen at one time or another in places like that inside of you, and they have been destroyed, and you've had to replant them over and over and over again. It's like your garden. You go and you plant in the garden, and you plant 10 times more than you need because you know that gophers are going to get some of it, and bugs are going to get some of it, and rabbits are going to get some of it, and some of it just isn't going to make it, and then you'll get some of it. Morris Nichols said, a man can talk as he likes as long as he guards the work. But unless he can observe himself well, he will not be able. He won't be able to guard the work if he can't observe himself well. If you can't observe yourself well, you will not be able to guard the work. You will not be able to guard these ideas. You will not be able to do it. They will fall in the wrong place and they will be destroyed. A man can talk as he likes. What does that mean? Remember what Paul said. For me, it's all permissible. He said there wasn't anything that he couldn't do. That it was all permissible to him, but it was not all beneficial, was not all profitable. That he determined what he could do and what he couldn't do, not by the law, not by outer rules and regulations and commandments, but by something inside, by whether or not it would be profitable. And what that would be based on was his aim, his goal. So a man can talk as he likes, as long as he guards the work. This is another reason we must not judge by appearances. We judge someone by the way they talk, and we know nothing, literally, absolutely nothing about their internal life. Nothing. We imagine that we know everything about a person's internal life. In fact, we are so arrogant that we imagine that we know about a person's internal life better than they know about it. We imagine that we know them better than they know themselves, which is why imagination is so dangerous for us. Without a sense of scale that protects higher things from mixing with lower things, we have no retort. We have no place for these ideas. We have no place to set a fire underneath them, to unify ourselves. Valuation of these ideas provides a sense of scale. If you can value these ideas, you will sanctify them. You will set them apart. You will guard them. You'll protect them if you value them. If you don't, you won't. Because you have no sense of scale, you won't be able to see the difference between these ideas and regular ideas. Walking dead can have no such valuation because they're dead. Sleeping people have a very low percentage chance of being able to value these higher ideas because they're asleep. You've got to wake up a little. Magnetic center is the power of discerning between A and B influences. A influences being the higher ideas of esoteric teachings, no matter where they're found. And B influences being these ideas once they're in the world and they begin to lose their efficacy. Because the influence of C influences, that is, life ideas, begins to work on the A influences, turning them into B influences, and eventually rotting them into C influences, bringing them down into C influences, in the same way that you can take a good piece of metal, get it wet, leave it out in the air, and watch it rust. If that process continues, you will destroy that piece of metal. It will oxidize and oxidize and oxidize until it's worthless until it's just a rusty piece of junk. These ideas are the same way. The walking dead lack the power of magnetic center. They can't discern between A and B influences in life. They can't discern the difference. Most of the time, we don't either. So the first work on oneself is to keep the ideas from what is false, evil, negative, in yourself, but also in the outer world. Don't go blabbing this to other people. You've already found this out the hard way, just like I did. That if you do, you will pay the price. It will come back and bite you, and it will also harm the work. Think of the damage that Christians have done to Christianity. Think of the damage that Muslims have done to Islam. Think of the damage that Jews have done to Judaism in the world. All of those things are despised by many people in the world because of the supposed practitioners of those ideas or those religions. These seeds can only take root in the best soil and the best place in your psychological country. This knowledge must pass from the intellectual center into and under the influence of the emotional center. Nichols said, This must be understood clearly, beyond dispute or argument. You've got to understand this beyond any dispute, beyond any argument, beyond any objection in yourself. It must be as much a truth as that mud spoils wine. I'm sure he meant that literally and esoterically. Wine being the highest level of truth and mud being mud. And if you mix... These ideas with life ideas, mud, earth ideas, you will end up spoiling them. The same way you would spoil a glass of wine by mixing it with mud. So these ideas have got to be kept away from the false, the evil, and the negative in yourself and in the outer world. If you have muddy feet and you touch them, don't touch your eyes afterwards. Your feet touch life. Your eyes, being far above your feet, stand for mental or spiritual sight. Your feet represent the external part of you, And your eyes represent the internal part of you. That's why you'll hear in so many esoteric traditions, the third eye needs to be opened. You need to learn how to look inside. You need to learn how to turn your attention from the world of the five senses to your internal world. Esoteric ideas mustn't be muddied by life ideas. Another example of this is Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Today's Easter, 2013 people break bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him, when actually what he wanted you to do was wash one another's feet in remembrance. I read the other day that the new pope would be washing feet. He was going to a prison, I think it was, and he was going to wash the feet of 12 prisoners. And I thought, yep, and I'll bet you those 12 prisoners are handpicked by someone and are squeaky clean. I'll bet you their feet and everything about them has already been very well washed before the pope ever gets to them. But I don't think it was that way with Jesus. I think that those guys really did need their feet washed, just like we really need our feet washed. The psychological part of us most closely in contact with life things of the world have to be cleansed from time to time. We all need cleansing from the world, from life ideas. This is represented by the feet, the most mechanical part of us. Isaiah wrote in chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, If because of the Sabbath... You turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What the mouth of the Lord has spoken is, this is truth, this is the truth. If because of the Sabbath, which is a sanctified holy day, you will turn your foot, which represents the mechanical side of you, turn it away from doing what pleases you. Sanctify it. Call this sanctified place a delight, a holy day of the Lord. Call it honorable and honor it. Desisting from your own ways, turning from your own pleasures, turning from all the things that you want, all your life aims, all your life goals, turning from all that, just this one place, this one day. From speaking your own word, then, and only then, are you really taking delight in these higher ideas, in this esoteric truth. And if you do that, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will lift you up into higher places. I will transform your being. You're not going to transform your being. Let me tell you that right now. You don't have what it takes. You can't do. You're lost. Unless it is done for you. Unless the light cures you. You will stay sick, debilitated, walking dead, or sleeping in waking sleep, unless it's done for you, unless you can reach the place where you can be lifted up. And there is a place where you desist from your own ways, where you stop seeking your own pleasure, where you stop speaking your own word. Then, and only then, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Well, for us right now, we're here on the earth, and what we're looking for is the heights, we're looking for the higher centers. We're looking for the higher ideas. We're not looking that hard, but we're looking. We're not looking that diligently, but we're looking. You could look a lot more diligently. You could be a lot more vigilant. And perhaps in the future you will be. Maybe not, I don't know. It depends on your valuation, And your valuation will depend on your ability to observe yourself objectively, according to these teachings. If you just observe yourself willy-nilly any old way, then you're not gonna find much. But if you have a gold standard, if you have a rule, on how to observe yourself and what to look for, then you have a chance. Otherwise, you'll get dragged down. The weeds, the thorns, they'll choke it out. The rocks won't provide enough soil. And as soon as adversity comes along, you'll give it up. Or some of it will just fall in places where the rats and the birds get it, and it will never have a chance at all. So that's what I mean when I say slumming. That we need to stay out of the psychological slums of ourselves. We need to not go with negative emotions. Check them. Check them as quickly as you are able. Check them as quickly as you become aware. Do not justify them. Do not go with them. Stay as far away from them as you would stay away from a rat's nest. You light up an instant matter. part of a cosmic